Welcome to episode 4 of Bedtime Stories for Grown-Ups, a podcast that is intended to be your guide into dreamland. Hopefully, you'll never hear the end of it. Once upon a time, if you were lucky, someone told you bedtime stories. Maybe someone read you books, or the same favorite book over and over. Or maybe someone made up your bedtime stories, telling you nonsensical things until you closed your eyes and drifted into sleep. These bedtime stories are the whimsical made-up kind, little snippets from dreamland to guide you there. There is no plot to follow, no sense to make of anything, just a sequence of images from beyond the consciousness of day to help you drift, let go, and fall blissfully into sleep. There was a full house in the theatre, but none of the performers had shown up. So one of the technicians started to do a ladder dance on stage. It was mesmerizing to watch, because it was so dangerous. He was using a big ladder on wheels, climbing all the way to the top, and even tilting it out over the audience some pretty gravity-defying stuff, and really graceful. The audience seemed to be quite satisfied with the performance. Strange. In the end, someone in the wings started to play the bagpipes, and the audience leapt to their feet, applauding wildly. Bravo! And then we noticed the tiger at the back of the stage. He was in a cage, but he seemed very intelligent, and he was putting his paw through the cage and trying to unlock it. He did manage to knock something loose. That cage needs to be secured, or he is going to get out. And then what happened? because suddenly we are making our way through chest-deep water. It's even deeper in some places. There are cars and debris floating past, and you have to watch out. It is hard going, and many people are being swept away. Up ahead we see that it is getting shallower on higher ground. We're almost there, just a little farther. We find a place where a number of survivors are gathering. And we're not the only ones. You can see other pockets of people on little islets of high ground across the horizon. But I wonder how many have been swept away. And what happened to the tiger? 
Well, it wasn't pretty. He got out of his cage, but when he came near the people, he was swarmed and savagely beaten to death. People were afraid of him. The tiger's owner was looking for him down at the shelter. He was a handsome, gray-haired Indian man. He was so very sad about his tiger, because he was an intellectual tiger. They used to watch movies together. But the people had panicked when they saw the tiger approaching, and they had attacked him like a mob of angry chimpanzees. Amir seems to be in charge. He is explaining that we have had a falling out with our neighbors to the north. Our kin, really. But now it looks like it will come to war. They have a building and we have a building. There is only a ravine between us. Amir is giving everyone advance warning that the battle is going to begin at a certain time on a certain day. It is imminent. The deadline comes and we hear explosions. It is really frightening being in a war, hearing all the missiles and explosions, knowing that the building you are in could be hit at any time. We are worried about our left flank. It is being defended by young and inexperienced men. Boys, really. It is a weak spot. We go to help them, and sure enough, they are being bombarded by magic kraken. We can stop them with a spell before they hit us, and so we stay and start uttering spells fast and furious to deflect them all. It is difficult. They are coming so fast. And then suddenly they stop. Everything stops. What has happened? We have come to terms, it seems. We are both giving up something to gain something in order to end the war. It is good. It is a great relief. But now we have a lot of cleaning up to do. We keep getting stuck behind large crowds waiting for elevators and blocking escalators. Finally, we manage to break past them and run down the street. There are some tourists being pulled in a sled drawn by black reindeer with gray and white facial markings. We grab the reins of the lead deer and lead them down a path and into a tunnel. We're worried that the end of the tunnel might be too narrow, but they make it through all right. There is a large raven in the parking lot. We are walking toward him, but then we stop because he seems to be in a very rough state. He is about six feet tall. One of his eyes is half hanging out and half his beak has broken away. 
He's looking for food. Probably not a good idea to get too close. We feel sorry for him, but are also slightly afraid of what he might do or how he might react if we approach him. He must be feeling quite miserable and angry. We go out to look for some of the missing children. There are big wolves guarding the forest. They stand up on their hind legs and bristle when they see us. They look like a cross between wolves and giant hyenas, with grey fur and black noses and big glowing green intelligent eyes. They say, you are not allowed to pass. You are not permitted to enter the forest. They can talk. It seems they are trying to keep the people out these days. We were riding donkeys and feeding another donkey handfuls of hay and grass every time we passed by. The little girl was wearing a special traditional dress and we were collecting samples. It is amazing how many edible plants, flowers and fruits there are. Absolutely amazing. There was one fruit that we had never seen before. It came in different colors and tasted sweet with a hint of tart. They told us the name, but we can't remember it now. There was a prophecy, and some sort of deadline loomed. We kept passing this giant old machine on our route past the donkey. We were keeping an eye on it. And when the time came, there was a loud clanging. And then a voice said that the time had come. The universe was going to start contracting now. Our world was going to start contracting now too. It is time. And a signed official looking document briefly appeared on the outside of the old machine before it vanished. We were all stunned. Now what? There was panic. The highway was full of abandoned and crashed cars. People were running. But some people were just chilling. They were just going to stay where they were and have a few beers. We were panicking a little because it was too late to get back to the house before dark. And we would never find our way in the dark. We hardly know the way in the daytime. Some people said, just grab a bus. There are still some bus drivers driving buses because people are desperately trying to get to their loved ones. A bus does come along, but it's not able to go very far before getting stuck behind all the crashed and abandoned vehicles. We see a woman we recognize Maybe from learning about the edible plants on the donkey ride. She waves. There is a possibility of going by water. 
She's getting the details on her phone. There is a barge not too far away. The barge is already quite full of people. Apparently, the ship will only take people with an old-fashioned letter on their person. It doesn't have to be a letter written to you or by you. It just has to be a real, actual letter, preferably in a stamped envelope. It's not something we happen to have. But there is a woman who seems to have an abundance of old-fashioned letters. She is choosing who will get to have one for the passage. And she does give us letters. They are small, personal letters. We don't dare to read them now. We just cling to them and put them in a safe place. So now that we have been approved for passage, the barge is suddenly getting pulled out into the water. At the same time, we see the ship that we have now committed to. It looks like a giant spider, rising out of the depths as we get closer to it. It is really creepy, actually. It seems like an enormous spider that is about to swallow us. A giant mouth is opening as we approach the underbelly. We can hear a voice over a loudspeaker barking orders. Somehow we don't think this is a government vessel. It looks ominous and it all seems quite nefarious. Like the secret underwater hideaway of a James Bond villain. Now what have we gotten ourselves into? We were a group of scientists working on an environmental problem. We were also actors, and we had to make sure we didn't get too emotional in front of the others. There was some jealousy, maybe a bit of catfighting going on. But people were talking about the results of our scientific work, which was something, and we were quite happy about it. But the problem was in the implementation. Everyone had been so excited to have an agreement, but now they wanted to include something for the 113 who had signed it. So they had added man-made tributaries away from the main salmon streams that would be specifically for the farmed salmon. We said, wait a minute. That was not in the model. We can't do that. The whole thing will collapse. The water will be too warm. We needed to convince the politicians to do otherwise. But the politicians were only listening to the businessmen. We were living communally, in a camp. The guy from Scotland set out for Ireland and the Irish guy was just arriving in England. All they needed was a homeless kit. So we went to the bank and asked for a homeless kit, and they gave us one. It was awkward to carry. It consisted of a tent, a blanket, and something else, maybe a bottle of water. The bank's monthly investor newsletter was also part of the kit.
We needed a temporary place to stay. Our friend suggested using this technique she knows. We can essentially live in the same place, at the same time, only on different planes. The only thing we might notice is the shadow of someone else in the bed with us. A blanket moving, that kind of thing. So we decide to try. We can feel her get into the bed, sort of, but not. We go to sleep, but when we wake up, we are hugging the covers and the sheets are gone. It freaks us out and we are struggling to even make a sound. Finally, a raw kind of animal sound comes out and it breaks the hidden curtain between the realms. And then we're all very much in the same bed at the same time. We say, sorry, this is just not going to work for us. And she says, that's okay. And then we laugh. It is a comfortable bed, but it's not big enough for all of us. We had to look after the babies. The pharmaceutical companies had given the babies some sort of drug regimen, and we had to keep an eye on them. It was a drug trial. The parents had been paid a lot of money. But now it seemed like the babies were having trouble breathing on their own. They made alarming sounds gasping for breath. You had to pick them up and soothe them rub their backs and hopefully they would start breathing normally again. We thought that they should stop the trial immediately. It was obviously dangerous. But apparently if the parents didn't want to, or couldn't give the money back, they were not able to pull their babies out of the study. Kind of like the Hotel California. We were worried that all the babies might die. We are taking turns looking after a little orphan girl. Hey, do you want to come and watch the movie with us? It is a bit late though. You really should be in bed. The others have all gone to bed without knowing who the father is. And it's not who they think it is. Not the big gruff border in the basement suite. Which is kind of a relief. We know who it is now and we can't wait to tell them. They will be shocked, but relieved. There's a pile of envelopes on the counter that needs to be sorted and filed away. That's how we made the discovery. It was a process of elimination. We are riding horses behind the queen. They are small dream horses that are part horse and part two people dressed up as a horse for a play. But they feel real. Riding them feels real, even though the space is confined and indoors. Patting them feels real. We do a few laps in and out and around the stables. I pat mine when I get off 
to go outside and join everyone in the big circle. We have to collect the robes. Who has the queen's robe? The queen does. This might be the perfect time to tell everyone what we know about the father. But now we cannot remember who the father is. The only thing we know for sure is the mother. Anyway, maybe it is best to let sleeping dogs lie. There is a song, Dance, River, that is a gift. It makes everyone happy. We see a woman dressed in a colorful traditional folk dress dancing into a dream. She's following the song Dance River, and she seems very happy. Euphoric even. She's quite beautiful. Thank you for listening. Sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.